0: what is going on everybody welcome back to the clips combo show i'm your host joey lynn and today we are going to talk about trades yes the trade deadline is less than one month away really about three weeks away at this point and i feel like it's really started to become a hot topic on clippers twitter and just nba twitter in general as it so often does around mid-January, because as you all know, trade deadline is February 9th, meaning pretty much between now and February 9th is when general managers are going to be on the phone, evaluating their rosters, or past the midway point already, and they're going to be deciding whether or not they're going to be sellers or buyers at this year's trade deadline. Well, as we all know, the Clippers are going to be buyers at this year's deadline, the only question is going to be to what extent. As championship contenders, or at least that's where they want to be, they haven't exactly played to that level this year, but that's the level that they hope to be at. The Clippers are certainly not sellers at this year's deadline. They will indeed be buyers, and with the team being pretty mediocre over midway through the season, chances are they're going to make at least somewhat of a substantial move at this year's trade deadline. And, you know, even if the team was playing well, history shows us that the Clippers make moves at the deadline. You can go back about five, six years and they've done it every single time. Last year, they made to, made the move to get Norman Powell and Robert Covington. Uh, the year before that, it was in the offseason. They traded Bev uh, in that summer. But during that regular season, they did the Lou Will Ferrando trade. Year before that, they got Marcus Morris. A uh, year before that, um, going back a little bit further, that was the 2018-19 season when they made the big deal at the trade deadline to send out Tobias and brought in Landry um, and those picks that eventually got packaged in the P- in the PG deal. So it's been an interesting stretch of trade deadline or offseason moves for the Clippers over the last five, six seasons. But one thing we can essentially guarantee is that they will do something At this year's deadline, especially with the team hovering around 500, that's not going to cut it uh, with the current state that the Clippers are in. They are not a young team. They are an old team. They're in win now mode, meaning they must be much, much better than just hovering around 500, even with the injury context included. So because of that, let's talk about some of the names that have been thrown out there. I'm going to start with one that came up last night and has been heavily debated on Clippers Twitter over the last day or so. And that is Mike Conley. If you guys watch my YouTube channel uh, back in the off season, unfortunately that's currently in retirement right now. I just haven't had the time with doing the podcast and uh, writing full-time reporting full time. And you know, everything that I do covering the Clippers haven't had time to make it to YouTube and there's a whole other you know, situation going on with copyright and things like that. So it just kind of uh, fell out of the rotation of things that I do. Hopefully I'll be back at some point, but that's for another time. Uh, You guys remember I talked about Conley on one of my last YouTube videos because one of my videos was about uh, the top off-season moves the Clippers can make. Uh, I kind of ranked them in order. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Conley was either the worst or second worst potential move that I brought up that the Clippers could realistically make. Because his name had been floated out there as a potential target the Clippers may be interested in. Um, and I can actually confirm through people that I talked to that there was indeed a, a potential deal for Mike Conley in the offseason. I don't think it's that big of a secret now. It's been reported by you know more people than myself. But the Clippers were actually interested in Mike Conley during the offseason and were actually pretty close to a deal. But then, of course, John Wall became available for free and they went that route instead So now with John Wall not exactly working out and with Reggie not playing well either, the Clippers, (laughs) being the, for whatever reason, point guard obsessed organization that they are, have reportedly re-engaged interest in Mike Conley. That came from Mark Stein, who is a reputable reporter with pretty solid sources. And if he says it's true, chances are it probably is, or at least he's heard from somebody that the Clippers are once again interested in Mike Conley. And with them having interest in the offseason, it's not exactly surprising. But my take in the offseason has probably, it's certainly not changed. And if it has changed, it's probably been intensified. Like it was a no for me in the offseason when it came to Mike Conley. But it is like an emphatic no for me right now because he has looked pretty bad so far this season. Of course, he's a decent playmaker. He's always had that but he's shooting 38% from the field. And even if he was shooting around his career averages, I still would be out on Mike Conley for several different reasons. The first of which is that he is not what the Clippers need. One of the biggest issues with the Clippers so far this season has been the fact that they have too many small guards who cannot defend. And a lot of times, because for whatever reason, Ty Lue has wanted to keep a lot of these players in, in the rotation, they have played together. And that has led to, horrendous three guard lineups. It has led to honestly a lot of losses that should have been wins. And if you're bringing in Mike Conley, he is just going to be a very similar player that contributes to that problem of having too many small guards who can't defend. And for him, his offense is really falling off a cliff as well. Sure. He can play make, but I mean, I just think that's such an overrated asset uh, for this Clippers team is, is I'm putting my fingers in quotes, playmaking like, of course, Playmaking is important and something you need on your team, but when you're talking about a playmaking point guard, I mean, you guys know my take on this. I've been saying the same thing for the last three or four seasons now. When you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you don't need a true playmaking point guard. We have seen that they have tried it and it has failed twice. Now they have tried it and it has failed because what happens? Well, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, when it matters most, and even throughout the course of the game are going to have the ball in their hands more often than not. And you know what that means? That means that the traditional point guard that's out there next to them is going to be relegated to a catch and shoot role. Meaning if they can't do that at a high level, They are now taking away minutes from other players on the roster who would be better fits next to Kawhi Leonard, because quite simply, they are better shooters. And a lot of times, too, they are better at attacking the basket, which becomes incredibly important when you are a good shooter and you face hard closeouts. You need to be able to pump, get by that guy, get in the paint, either look for your own shot or kick it out to an open shooter. If you can't shoot, they're just going to not respect you and they're going to go double Kawhi and PG. We saw that with Bloodstone. We've seen it with John. It's just not a good fit. We saw it with Rondo as well. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense why the Clippers keep becoming obsessed with going down this traditional point guard route. When you look at the numbers, The team has been at its best this season when their point guards have been off the floor, and it's been one of Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, or Norman Powell alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. The data has continued to show that year after year, and yet we still keep getting these rumors that the Clippers are interested in these, again, fingers in quotes, true point guards. Not a fan of it at all for that reason, and for the second reason, Mike Conley is still owed a lot of money next season. He is not an expiring contract, he is owed over $20 million, not only for the rest of this season, but next season as well. The Clippers would have to pick up the rest of his deal for this year, and then they would owe him over $20 million next year. That is not a problem they need for a guy who has already shown a significant offensive decline, and he's never been a super top tier defender and certainly is not one at this stage of his career. So for all of the reasons that I just mentioned, I was out on Mike Conley in the off season and after seeing the way he's played so far this year, I am even more out on him right now. And you might be saying, well, Joey, if he's that bad and, you know, he hasn't been all that good and he's, you know, an ex- or, excuse me, um, on a deal that Utah wants to get off of, and they may be wanting some expirings back in return, he'd essentially be free, right? Well, potentially, potentially Mike Conley's value is so low that if Utah poked around and wasn't able to have anybody, you know, throw him a pick or, Uh, a young player with some upside, they may be willing to just take some combination of, you know, Reggie plus John, both of their expirings. Then you upgrade at point guard, bring in Conley, who despite how poor he's been this season is probably better than both Reggie and John. Even if that were the package, and I'm going to get into this, a little bit deeper into the pod because it's something to consider. The Clippers don't have very many assets, so they must use them wisely and expiring deals. Even though Reggie and John have both played poorly this year, expiring deals still have value because they have so few assets. You can't just start wasting them because you know, that's what Utah is willing to accept. If Mike Conley's value is so low that the Utah Jazz are willing to just get off his deal and take on two expirings in Reggie and John. One, that's a red flag. And two, you're probably better off using those expiring deals in a different type of trade. One, that doesn't bring in a small, undersized, slow, old point guard. Something that brings in maybe a backup center because a lot of backup centers are in a similar spot right now where they're on teams that are tanking. They're veteran guys who are, you know, still able to contribute to a potential contender like the Clippers and their organizations are going in a different direction and would take on expiring money and maybe a young piece and a pick in order to send them out to a team like the Clippers. Reggie Jackson's expiring deal and John Wall's expiring deal would would be much more useful in a trade like that than, in my opinion, a pretty close to lateral move that swaps one or both of those guys out for Mike Conley. And I'm not going to spend as much time on every single potential trade target as I have as Conley, or uh, excuse me, as I have with Conley. But I just wanted to go deep um, into this possible trade scenario because it's it's one that has been probably the most public, uh, at least online with you know Mark Stein coming out with that report. I think Bleacher Report picked it up as well. And it's really started to, to circulate. So I wanted to hit on that. Uh, I don't really need to say much more. I've made my point on Conley. I am completely out on it. Maybe if it was five years ago or even three years ago, uh, I would have been more down for a deal like that. But uh, I mean, when you look at the last few seasons of Clippers backcourt play with their point guards, we had Arondo, Rondo old wash passes prime, but old wash passes prime John wall, similar situation. Although, you know, I have a little bit more hope that he could turn things around because he still has shown some, uh, up and down speed down the court. And I think that's something that if he refocuses uh, his mindset on tapping into that and and staying away from some of the other things that have resulted in turnovers and bad shots, he could have more value than the other two guys, but it's still been a similar development where you have a point guard uh, past his prime that has been a negative impact when on the floor. So I'm not exactly hyped about the possibility of adding another one of those here in probably the biggest season in Clippers franchise history. So out on Mike Conley, but am I out on point guards entirely? That's a question that people have asked me because while you guys know how I feel about the traditional point guard conversation, especially when it comes to this team, uh, there may be some better options out there that I could potentially get behind If the package were right, some of the names that have been thrown out, of course, D'Angelo Russell is one of them. The Minnesota Timberwolves are probably in that category of teams that currently have no idea whether they are buyers or sellers at this year's deadline. And then a similar situation is the Toronto Raptors with Fred Van Fleet, because once again, Toronto, they have veterans, former all stars on their team, and they were champions just a few seasons ago. So it would be kind of awkward for them to all, all of a sudden become sellers. But at the same time, there's, you know, a few games below 500 have been pretty bad all season long, and their record would probably push them in that direction. So when you're looking at both D'Lo and Fred, it's very interesting because those two guys are on teams that, as Adrian Wojnarowski continues to say on ESPN, are uncertain whether or not they're going to be buyers or sellers. So hypothetically, let's say they're sellers and D'Angelo Russell becomes available or F- Fred Van Fleet. Becomes available? Am I interested in either one of those two players? Well, for a lot of the same reasons that I'm out on Conley, I would probably be out on those two players as well. Of course, they are significantly younger than Mike Conley, so it's uh, at least somewhat of an upgrade there. But at the same time, they're still small guards, and if it were up to me, I would much rather use whatever assets you were going to throw in a Delo trade or a Fred Van Fleet trade. I would much rather use those on another athletic wing or a backup center or potentially even a starting caliber center player. And, you know, then you figure out what you're going to do with Zoo, but that's a whole other conversation. Whatever assets you would potentially throw at another small guard, despite the fact that they are younger and have a lot more upside than Mike Conley does, I believe you are much better off throwing those at a position of need, which in my eyes is going to be an athletic wing or a center. And the reason why I say that is because what is something that I mentioned not only earlier in this podcast, but so many times, both on Twitter and on this show, it's the Clippers are better off with one of Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, or Norman Powell next to their wings. It is just quite simply a fact at this point, and all of the data supports it. Since Terrence Mann has been in the starting lineup, that group has been fantastic, whether or not it's included... You know Marcus Morris. Uh, obviously Kawhi, he's been in for the majority of it, but PG's been out. It it hasn't really mattered. Any combination as with Terrence Mann as the only guard has been very, very good for the Clippers so far this season. And you have to believe it will only continue to improve as he gets more reps there at the one and guys like Paul George start to come back. And now that that lineup can get some continuity and some confidence some chemistry and just get the ball rolling on what I believe should be the Clippers starting lineup going into the playoffs. So if that's the case and T-Man is working great as the one, why all of a sudden when you th- would you throw that off with a deadline deal that brings in another point guard and you're essentially at square one again, learning how to play with an entire new lineup? I mean, that's been the Clippers, in my eyes, that's been the Clippers' downfall during the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George era. They have had no consistency with their lineups. None of these guys have had true long stretches of time together where they can figure out how to play with one another and they can learn how to fire on all cylinders and learn who likes the ball where and who does what when they have the ball. Those are the type of things that, you know, quite frankly, the Clippers should have figured out by now. And I think they're starting to do that with man in the starting group. If you trade for a guy like D'Lo or Fred, well, they're going to slide right into that spot. Man's back to the bench. Who knows if Tyloo utilizes him properly there. He hasn't all year. And now you're relying on, you know, what a three two three month stretch of basketball to figure out how to play with a brand new point guard. I'm out on that. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm out on it. You could talk me into some of those guys as individual players, but in terms of their fit on this team and where the Clippers are at right now with how great they've looked with man at the one, I'm good. I don't really want to see that to be quite honest with you and perhaps the best counter argument uh, to me being out on that is relying on Terrence Mann to be your your sole playable point guard in the playoffs. And I understand a bit of concern there, especially in the playoffs. The game slows down. You get into the half court a lot more. Uh, which is, is another reason why I'm concerned about John Wall's inability to, to really break anything down in the half quarter and the pick and roll so far this year. So if that's the case, if the Clippers were to enter the playoffs with Man as their only real playable one, and you know he hasn't been a one for much of his NBA career, I understand some concern there. But again, I still believe that with this roster construction, Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, one of those two guys is going to end up I'm putting my fingers in quotes, being the point guard when it matters most. They're going to bring the ball up the floor. They're going to have the ball in their hands. And is that asking a lot of them? Yes, but they're superstars for a reason. They get $40 million a year for a reason. You have to ask a lot of your stars. I understand there being some concern there, but honestly, the KD Warriors have warped the mind of NBA fans into somehow believing that you can achieve a perfect roster. You can't do it, not when you're paying guys as much uh, uh such a high percentage of the cap like the Clippers are with Kawhi and PG and even Norm to an extent. It's one of those situations where you're going to have to have some deficiencies in certain areas, but the goal is to make them Uh, as far from fatal flaws as possible. And I think for the Clippers, the lack of a traditional point guard is very far from a fatal flaw and not one that concerns become playoff time. To be quite honest with you, whatever traditional point guard they would theoretically throw in, I could see that being a fatal flaw. Like if John or Reggie um, or a guy like Conley, if you're relying on that come playoff time, it's a lot bigger concern to me than relying on Terrence Mann and and Luke and and Norm to have bigger roles with the ball in their hands, so I'm not real worried about that. Um, never been a big believer in the true point guard debate uh, or the true point guard belief that this this Clippers team needs one. The best offense in Clippers franchise history came with Patrick Beverly at the one who nobody thought could run an offense, and he was perfect in his role playing off Kawhi and PG. So. Uh, not in on any of the point guards. Sorry for those of you who want Delo or want Fred or you know want some of these other guys. Don't think many Clipper fans want Conley, but for those of you who do, sorry about that as well. But we're going to move on now to really something that I mentioned briefly uh, while I was in my point guard rant. Now, I wanted to make it a key point about midway through this pod because it's something to consider. I really want to drive home the fact that the Clippers have limited assets. They have very limited assets. Nobody wants a guy like Marcus Morris. And again, this is nothing against guys like Morris or or Nico or Rocco, but the the buyer market is not going to be interested in, in those guys. It they're just not, and the seller market isn't going to be interested in them either. I mean, there's really there's no market for guys like that, just because Marcus uh is on a big deal um. You know, for a team like the Clippers, if they were to maybe find like a a hopeful contender or a team that's kind of like on the playing bubble and is trying to find, even then, though, I just don't think any of those teams could talk themselves into Marcus Morris and his deal. So, you know, a lot of people include him in trades because of his contract, but if anything, he probably has negative value. So he's not a real asset, a uh, Nicholas Batum at this stage of his career. Again, similar situation. He means much more to the Clippers than he would to any other team. Not a real asset there. Robert Covington, same situation. Obviously, he has the salary that fits in a lot of these deals, but he's got another year on his deal next season, and there's just not a lot of teams who would really be interested in in taking that on. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. All three of those guys probably mean more to the Clippers than they do to other teams. So none of those veteran wings are are real assets. And then if you go to the backcourt, really the only assets that, I would consider positives are Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard. Both of those guys um, definitely have value around the league. But again, I think they both have more value to the Clippers than they do to other teams, especially if you're going to be starting to go away from guys like John Wall and Reggie Jackson. You're going to have to rely on guys like Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard and Norman Powell to have the ball in their hands. And Norman is another one who, while he is probably um, the best player of the Clippers uh, tradable guys that ha- that have deals that could fit into some of these um, you know big trades that I see on the timeline in-, in these trade machines. You're talking about guys like Morris, Rocco, Luke, um, all of the guys who pretty much aren't on max contracts but also aren't on minimum deals. Norm is probably the best player uh, of that group. But again, with how long and how big his deal is, how many teams really interested in that? Probably not a whole lot. So that's another situation to monitor. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with John Wall and Reggie Jackson, both of which are on expiring deals, and I've hit on that already. Despite the fact that neither player uh, has, has been any good this year, and, and despite the fact that both guys have, have struggled mightily, their expiring deals are of value to a lot of teams. And then that also leaves you with some of the young guys, probably the most notable being Brandon Boston Jr. He probably has the best upside, I probably not even say probably <laughs> he certainly has the best upside of all the, the young Clippers that, that, that we have on this, on this roster. So that's kind of where it leaves you. If you're not making a big swing, that's really all you have to work with. It's the expiring deals of wall and Reggie, whatever tradable picks they have coming up in the future, which again, isn't many. And then Brandon Boston jr. What exactly can that get you? Well, in my opinion, it could probably get you most of the available backup centers on the market right now. We're talking Plumlee, we're talking Pirtle, Hartenstein, Alinek, Reed, Gafford, McDaniels. We don't know exactly how many of those guys will become available, but when you look at the trajectory of those teams that those guys are on, chances are a pretty good majority of those names that I just mentioned will be gettable at the trade deadline. And I think with the way that those teams are progressing, especially if a lot of those guys are on expirings and wouldn't really be interested in coming back to that situation and would walk for nothing in the off season, a team would probably be willing to take on a couple of expiring deals and a young piece like Brandon or a future pick in exchange for their backup center. I can't really see in I can't really see that being too difficult of a thing to navigate. And in my opinion, with what we've seen so far this year, from the Clippers, when they play optimal lineups, they have what it takes to be good enough minus a backup center, in my opinion right now. I truly believe, and it might sound crazy to say because of where they sit in the standings right now, but if you look at the data, the team is elite when they have Terrence Mann out there as the lone guard without John Wall and Reggie Jackson. The team is elite when they have Luke Kennard out there without John Wall and Reggie Jackson. The team is very good when they have Norman Powell out there without John Wall and Reggie Jackson. And Norman Powell is a guy who has pretty much been a net negative in every single lineup combination that he's been in this year, except for when he's the lone guard. That has been very good. So if you have a half of a season worth of data that shows you, Really, the Clippers are dominant when Wall and Reggie are both on the bench and the Clippers have already shown a willingness to go away from one of those guys. I would really love to see them lean into Terrence as a lead guard for the starting group, a combination of Luke and Norm as a lead guard for the bench group. Go and get a backup center with your expirings and potentially a future pick or young piece and call it a day. Because like I said, you're never going to craft the perfect roster. You just have to craft one that has as few fatal flaws as possible, preferably none, but every team's got some holes that if you really wanted to to dig deep enough, you could probably expose and and hurt a team really bad if you were to, to locate them and effectively target them enough. But if you're the Clippers, I truly think it's that simple. I truly think it's as simple as just playing your better players and packaging a couple of expirings and a young player or a future pick in exchange for a backup center and plugging that hole. Not even a guy that needs to potentially play a lot of minutes, but a guy who can fill in for Zoo if he rolls an ankle or fill in for Zoo if he gets in foul trouble. And now you're not all of a sudden relying on Moses Brown or, uh, I mean – Roko, Nico, like, yeah, those guys can make it happen, but you know, not against Jokic, you know what I mean? So it's one of those situations and nobody could guard Jokic. So maybe that's a bad example, but you guys know what I mean. You don't want to have to rely on small ball or Moses against, you know, one of the elite bigs that the Clippers may see in the postseason. So that's where I land on that conversation. And I hope I articulated that well, because it's truly something that I believe. I believe the data backs it up. I think the Clippers are that close. And it's frustrating because if that's the case, you might be saying, well, Joey, I mean, they've had the personnel all year. Why are they sitting just one game over 500? Well, that gets into the whole conversation about how poorly they've been managed this year and about the lineups that have been out there for extended periods of time. But I think this couple-week stretch without John Wall is going to determine a lot. Because if the Clippers are able to handle their business against some of these better teams that they're going to be playing, especially on the road... With guys like Terrence getting lead guard minutes. Hopefully Luke's back soon. He's out tomorrow. But you know, I think he's getting closer. And Norm obviously as well is around. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Clippers manage those guard minutes. If the trends that have persisted all season continue on this two week stretch where the Clippers are dominant without a putting my fingers in quotes traditional point guard on the floor, I say abandon any idea of picking one up. Lean into wing stop. Go get yourself a backup center and let's go make this push. That is how I feel right now. And I really don't think there's a whole lot that's going to change my mind on that. That's essentially it in my eyes. I know it sounds pretty minuscule for a team that believes that they have championship aspirations and here they sit just one game over 500, but the data is not small. The data is drastic. And I believe it affirms my position. So that's about all I have to say on the trade deadline. I wanted to keep it with just trades, for this particular episode, and you know, down the line, maybe we'll look a little bit further into, you know, things they might entertain in the off season if they fail this year. Um, one of the things I haven't mentioned yet is is some of the bigger swings that the Clippers could make for a guy like John Collins or a guy like Kyle Kuzma. But I just don't think that's something the Clippers should do right now. I just don't. I don't think that they should risk potentially sending out some of their or all of their very few positive assets in a big ish swing this season. And then, you know, they lose in the first or second round. And then now you're sitting in the off season. You already dealt away your best trade chips and you're sitting with an old roster that just got beat, you know, early in the playoffs. Could you make a big swing for a guy like Collins or Kuzma and it works out and you win a championship? Sure. But in my opinion, it kind of goes back to what I said about, you know, reintegrating or excuse me, uh, integrating a guy like D'Lo or Fred and changing the way you have to play and and figuring out how you're going to integrate a brand new player, um, you know, into your system. I'm not against a guy like John Collins. I think his athletic upside is huge for this team. He would probably be like the prototypical player I would like to see the Clippers target. But for the potential package that it might take, and again, we don't know exactly what that is. There's been different rumors saying different things about what Atlanta might be wanting back in exchange for Collins. You never really can tell. But for what it might take, I think the Clippers would be better off making one of those marginal moves for a backup center and just playing their better players. If all of a sudden Atlanta comes to you and it's a situation like last year where Portland came to the Clippers and they were able to trade scraps for Norman Powell, and Robert Covington, then we're having a different conversation. But I don't exactly anticipate that happening with where Atlanta is right now in their situation with them having a young star. I just don't think they're going to take scraps in exchange for John Collins. I'm certainly not against him as a player. But for what it might require, I think the Clippers are much better off riding out this season by making a marginal move and then reevaluating in the summer with some of the assets that they would have potentially needed to send out for a guy like Collins at the deadline. So not against him as a player, just against the timing right now, although I understand the urgency with this being a championship or bust season. I just personally believe they have what it takes if they just play their optimal lineups and go get a backup center. That's where I'm at right now. I don't expect everybody to completely agree, but I hope I made some pretty solid points that get you guys thinking. And you guys now have a pretty solid idea on where I stand when it comes to the trade deadline. It's going to be an interesting next three weeks. I will have coverage for you guys, both in writing and in podcast form, because uh, that's what we do. This is Clips Combos, baby. You guys know how we get down. So until next time, you guys, I appreciate everyone listening. Much love. And go Clippers.